Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. It is without question that the Apostle Paul had a tremendous influence on the early church, not just in his missionary journeys, but also in his discipleship of other believers. One of those disciples was a man named Timothy. And today, Pastor Roy starts a new series in 1 Timothy called Training Myself for Godliness. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Today we are starting a new series in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you would uh, turn your Bibles there. And I've entitled this series, Training Myself for Godliness. You know, all of life is about training. Um, and training means that we sometimes succeed and we sometimes fail. We move forward, sometimes we move backwards. And sometimes we do well, sometimes we don't do so well. And, you know, I can certainly relate to that in my own life and remembering some of the bumps along the way. And uh, some of those bumps happened in grade school. Uh, I remember in particular in sixth grade. Uh, sixth grade was kind of a rough year. Um, I don't know what it was, but we had a teacher, and I don't know if I would call her a full-blown witch, but it sir seemed borderline. Uh, she just, uh, everybody in the class that year was paddled at least once, and uh, if you had straight A's going into her class, you didn't have them coming out, but I didn't have that problem. Uh, but uh, everybody, I mean, she would line up people 15 at a time in the hallway and just wham, 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 one after the other. And you would get paddled just for talking in class. I mean, she just would not tolerate it. And I remember one day she uh, missed school. She must have been sick or had something going on. And you know how kids are when there's a substitute teacher. They're like the sacrificial lamb, right? I mean, because they don't know the kids and you just kind of act up and, well... I'll probably give away my age, but you remember those big pens that you could take the, the middle of the pen out and they made a really nice spitwad shooter. <laughs> and I mean, you could just, and those things would fly all over the room. They were flying all over the room that morning. And the substitute teacher, or actually the regular teacher was back, but we were still in that substitute teacher mindset. Spitwads were going all over the place and some kids decided to pepper the clock. And so the clock had spitwads all over it. And so one of the kids thought, you know, that's not good. She's going to come in and see that. We better clean it off. So they got a yardstick, and they started cleaning off the spitwads off the face of the clock. Well, the clock fell off the wall. As the kid was walking out the door, he caught the clock like this, and when the teacher came in, the clock was on her desk. <laughs> and, of course, she wasn't real happy about that. Uh, but the good news was we all lived through the sixth grade. And thankfully, about halfway through the year, we, that's when we moved to Virginia for six months, and so I was able to finish the sixth grade. Otherwise, it might have been a little questionable. But the point is, the training of going through, you know, discipline, spanking, discipline, and all that. I remember she even made us write a paper one time about, you know, what we did wrong and this and that. And, and I had remembered something I had heard a guy say one time, so I put it in my paper, and I think she was really impressed with it. I said... Uh, you applied the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. And uh, she really did. And I think she was impressed by that, but it really wasn't original with me. I borrowed it from somebody else. 
Um, here, the training was so vital. It's the first century. The church has been established, but it's only been in existence for about 35 years. And so it didn't take long for false teaching to come into the church. So really from the beginning of the church age, we've had false teaching all across the board. Different flavors of it, whatever, we still have false teaching today. And so I really think, you know, one of the theme verses here is 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. And that's why I entitled this series, Training Myself for Godliness, because we have a responsibility to train ourselves, and it does require effort on our part. It does not happen automatically. Training requires effort on our part. God is willing to work in us and through us, but there are some things that we have to do as well. And so this word train comes from the word gomazo or gumnas, which means naked, to train naked. Now, that's not what we do. The point is, back in Bible times, in the Olympics, people would train naked. They would run, they would box, they would wrestle naked. That's the way they did it. They felt like clothes were a hindrance. They also wanted to show off their physical physique. They would put oil on their bodies and kind of worship the body. Uh, but here's the point. It's from where we get our word gymnasium, which is a place of exercising. For us, it's the exercise of our mind and our heart in spiritual things. We exercise ourselves to be godly. It doesn't just happen. I have to spend time in God's word. I have to spend time in prayer. That requires effort on my part. It does not happen. And I thought after all these years of being a Christian, it would just kind of come automatically. But you know what? I find it increasingly difficult. There are so many things that pull for my time and attention and my mind that it becomes increasingly difficult to do this. Because we're in a spiritual battle. So we train our mind. We exercise our mind. Why do we do that? Because we have to train ourselves to distinguish good from evil. When I say we train ourselves, we do that in the Word of God. We train ourselves in the Word of God. And we have to do that. Look at this verse in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what is happening in our culture today. They say, oh, no, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Oh, no, that's not darkness. That's light. And there's such confusion today because people are embracing false ideas, false teaching, and not the truth of the gospel. And so we have to come back to that, the truth of the gospel. Solid food is essential for training ourselves to distinguish good from evil. Look at this verse in Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is why young people oftentimes lack discernment because they've had very little time in their walk and journey and experience with the Lord. 
And it's not a put down, it's a reality. And even for those of us who have, that's why we still have to have God's word on a regular basis coming into my mind because I've got messages coming across the TV, the movie screen, the newspaper, in society, telling me something different. And so I have to have the truth of God's word coming into my life. Solid food, what is solid food? It's the word of righteousness. It is the word of righteousness. Look here in the verse preceding this one. Hebrews 5.13, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So he's telling us we need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. That word of righteousness is the word of God. And Timothy was given this assignment to take the message and to challenge false teachers. Notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. He's writing to a church, and he's telling the church, I can't address you even as spiritual people. Can you imagine a pastor doing that? But as people of the flesh, worldly, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. So solid food doesn't just come naturally. It's like a child has to start off with the baby food, has to graduate from the milk and the baby food to more spiritual food. And we have to do that as well. And, but we should be doing that in our lives. He goes on to say, train yourselves to be what? Godly. Godly is devotion. It is piety toward God. It has everything to do with my worshipful attitude toward God, a reverent spirit toward God, that I have reverence toward him in what I do. I have a godly fear of who God is. You know, one of the things that happen when people apostatize from the Lord, it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. So when I train myself to be godly, I have this godly fear. I have this reverential awe of God. I have this devotion toward him. I have a God consciousness about myself that I want to know who he is. If you flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For kings and all those in authority, he's talking about prayer, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Same word used here, in all godliness and holiness. It denotes a life that is acceptable to God. It does not come automatically. As we move on into the text, in 1 Timothy 1, Paul addresses who he is. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul, as an apostle, was one who was sent with the authority and on behalf of the one sending. In other words, God had given him the credentials and the authority to be an apostle. He didn't decide he was going to be an apostle. He was called of God to be an apostle. So he had the authority. Here, Timothy is going to be addressing false teachers who do not have the authority and yet usurp authority and begin teaching a different doctrine within the church. 
And so it was a problem. Paul is saying, I have this authority by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. There's no higher authority. Paul has that authority. He's appointed by God, empowered by God, sent with the authority of God to do what he does. After his identity, we see investment. Notice he says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. The joy of investing in a life. Third John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. Can you imagine the joy of the Apostle Paul to have trained Timothy to be godly? Timothy becomes a leader. He travels with Paul for about 15 years prior to this writing. He's been at different places with Timothy. He's left Timothy at different places. Now he is telling Timothy to stay in Ephesus and to work with the church in Ephesus because they are having problems in the church. I remember when Daniel Henderson was here and we, we met with him and he shared with us how he had to take a church that had incredible, incredible debt. And, and maybe he shared that here as well. And I was like, boy, you know what? I'm really glad God called you to that church and not me. <laughs> There are some times you just don't want that calling. And here, Timothy is called to a very difficult assignment. But Paul gives it to him because he has confidence, he has trained him, that he is equipped to do this job. It's a great blessing to see someone grow in their faith. It must have brought great joy to his heart. He knows he calls him a true child. A true child means a legitimate child, one born in wedlock. He's saying, you were born of the Spirit of God. You are a true child of God. Some families have enjoyed a legacy that is spiritually rich because of the faith that has been handed down for several generations. Many in this room, I believe, grew up in Christian homes and had a spiritual legacy, a foundation. Some have not. And you can begin that legacy and that foundation. And I would encourage you to do that. But what an opportunity for Timothy. Timothy's very name means one who honors God. I wonder what happens when somebody mentions my name in conversation or your name in conversation. Would it be one who honors God? Is that what would come to their mind? Well, let's look at a true son of faith. And let's look at four things about a true son of faith. Number one is a true son of faith has saving faith. Not just I come to church and I do the church thing and I put money in the offering and I do those things, but I have saving faith. I have come to realize I am a sinner before God. I am broken before God. I deserve God's eternal wrath and judgment, but Christ died on the cross for my sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone saving faith that is a true son of God Paul is saying the same God that I worship the same Jesus that I promote is the one that Timothy embraces he's my true son in the faith and the reason he said that too is because those false teachers were not true sons of the faith you see they were false they were fake talk about fake news <laughs> it was fake doctrine that they were promoting. In 2 Timothy 1.5, 
Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you also. Paul calls Timothy a man of God. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, or 11, he says, he tells him, as a man of God, you need to fight the good fight of faith. A person who does not have saving faith cannot fight the fight of faith. We have to have that personal faith in Christ first. Secondly, godly character. Timothy was viewed by others as a godly man. He had a great reputation among the brothers and other churches and other places. It says in Acts 16:2, he, Timothy, was spoken, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He was well spoken of. Martin Luther said this. He said, good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And we need to take that to heart. Paul, even in Philippians, he said in chapter 2, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And the reason he was sending Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who will care for you. That's the kind of character Timothy had. We need more Timothys in the church today. We need people who are willing. You know, we're willing to invest. We're willing to teach you God's word. We're willing to help you. But you know what? You've got to have somebody who's willing to grab a hold of it and say, you know what? I want that. There have been so many times in my life where I've tried to pursue people, and I'm pursuing them, but they're not pursuing me or they're not pursuing God. And, boy, it, it just ends up being a waste of time. We need the people who are serious, who will pursue God. We need Pauls in the church who will teach the Timothys. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, you should have a protege in the faith. You should have someone you are investing in, in the faith. It makes a difference when you do that, when you give yourself to do that. Thirdly, a teachable spirit. Timothy was willing to submit himself to Paul's authority and leadership. He did not have a know-it-all, done-it-all attitude at all. He no doubt at times had to be corrected by Paul in order to learn, but he had a submissive spirit. Paul says, I need you over here. Timothy was there. He was dependable, accountable. He was that kind of man. He was willing to learn. And fourthly, and so important, he was doctrinally grounded. You cannot send a person into a situation where there's a bunch of false teachers and you're not really sure what you believe. You don't know what you believe. You're not sure what the Bible says. You're not sure. You know, a few years ago, we sat down with a group of people from an area who were false teachers, proclaiming a false doctrine the pastor of that, quote, church looked at me across the table. We met with them for three and a half hours, some of our leaders and some of their leaders. The pastor of that church looked at me across the table, and he said, you have the gospel of Paul, and we have the gospel of Jesus. And I leaned back across the table, and I said, I didn't know they disagreed. You see, because I know what the Bible says. You can't show me that in Scripture. He said, you guys have a different gospel. They had a different gospel. 
Theirs was a gospel of works. And the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so we can come back and correct false teaching with confidence. And that's exactly what Timothy did. He knew what he believed and why. Why? Because the Bible says he was taught the scriptures from a child. He knew what it said. He had been fed solid food. And he was able to fulfill God's mission for his life. You know, there's a tradition that has been recorded by Eusebius, who was an early historian, church in the church, and he said this, Eusebius says that Timothy was later beaten to death by a mob at Ephesus because he charged the people with a crime for the idolatrous immorality of the worship of Diana. But he knew what he believed and what he was persuaded in. All right, let's go to the third point here, instruction. Paul now gives very specific instruction to Timothy regarding false teachers. In fact, he says in verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So Timothy is given a very difficult assignment, and I'll tell you why it was so difficult. It was so difficult because the false teachers, listen carefully, were not outside the church. They were inside the church. It is really believed that these false teachers were some of the elders in the church. That's a tough assignment. (laughs) When you have leaders who begin to teach something other than sound doctrine, how do we know this to be true? Well, let's look at Scripture. We need to back up what we say with Scripture. Look at Acts 20, 28. I know that's kind of small print if you need to look it up in your Bible. I'll read it off my notes. This was written about five years before 1 Timothy was penned. Here's what it says. Acts 20, beginning in verse 28. Pay careful attention, and Paul is writing or talking to the Ephesian elders of the church in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which is the responsibility of elders, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Fierce wolves will come into the church among you in the church in Ephesus, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul warned them five years earlier, you're going to have people. He saw the handwriting on the wall. God gave him that discernment and insight and said, you better be careful. There are people coming into your ranks. And that's why we have to be careful what we teach, that it is the right thing. 
and that we do the right thing. He says over in 1 Timothy, look down in verse 18, chapter 1, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's very possible that they were elders in the church. So don't think because you're a leader that you can't get off track. We all can. That's why we have to come back to the Word of God, and we have to interpret every message through the Bible. It needs to be supported, what we say, from the pulpit or from a classroom, from the Bible. It is crucial. This false teaching undermined the gospel and people's faith in the church. When truth is perverted, people will abandon their faith and follow a path that leads them away from God. This false teaching results in distortion, confusion, and disunity in a church. When he talks about false teaching, it's the word hetero, which means, hetero means another. Now, there are actually two words in the original language that mean another. One means another of a different kind. The other one means another of the same kind. This word means another of a different kind. That's the kind of false doctrine that was being purported. And Paul condemned this teaching in Ephesus, calling them myths and endless genealogies. Let's look at what myths were. Myths were legends used primarily to promote immorality. That's oftentimes what happens with false teaching. It leads toward an immoral lifestyle. These were stories that were taken from the past and used to justify behavior that was contrary to God's call to righteousness. They took stories and verses and they rip them out of context. And that's what happens in false teaching is people take a, a scripture, a verse, and they rip it out of context. And they say, well, here's what that verse means. But what does it mean in the context of the letter? The context, what is the context of what the author is saying? And that's what we need to go back to. Let me give you quickly three modern myths in our day today that I think are myths. Number one, gender identity comes from feelings and is not biological hogwash. Feelings have nothing to do with gender whatsoever. The Bible says he created them male and female, not feeling I'm male and feeling I'm female. And we have to go back to Scripture. What does the Scripture say? We've got to teach our kids gender identity has nothing to do with feelings, nothing how I think about myself. I have to go back that I'm made in the image of God and it's not this silly gender identity that, oh, I want to use this bathroom because, because why? Because you don't want to accept the fact that God made you who he made you. It's a rejection. It's a slap in the face of Almighty God. It's a myth. But it's in our culture, and we need to address it. Number two, sex outside of marriage is okay. Well, everybody's doing it. That makes it. Does that make it okay? I don't think so. God calls it immorality. And so we have to come back and say, you know what? That's an immoral lifestyle. It's sinful. It's wrong. It's evil. You say we're in love. You may be in love, but you're in sin too. That's what the Scripture says. 
It's a myth to say that it's okay. We have to come back and say, what does the Scripture say? Thirdly, a person can be saved through good works. Boy, here's a big one. Good works. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I know I'll go to heaven because I do this, this, and this, and this. If you have not put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for your sin, you will perish in your sin. There's nowhere in Scripture that says good works will wash away any sin, let alone all sin. It won't. So good works will not get you there. Going to church won't get, getting baptized, giving money to the poor. I mean, it will not get you. That's a myth. It's a lie. So we've got to go back to Scripture. Endless genealogies refer to histories and prophetic speculations rising out of guesswork and the desire to be different. Some people just have the desire to be different and say, you know, that's just the way I, I believe. But you know, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where even when there's false teaching going on, God tells Paul to tell Timothy to close the doors of that church. He says, no. He says, refute the false doctrine. Refute it. Because some people, what they do is they say, well, you know what? We're going over here. We got this little peer group. We're breaking away from the church because there's so much worldliness in the church. And we're breaking away. We're going to have our own pure little group. And we're going to do it right. And everybody else is wrong. And I don't see that in Scripture. There's a lot of sin in all these churches. And you know why? Because we're sinners. <laughs> we're all sinners. And so there's going to be sin in the church. I don't have a perfect life, and neither do you. But we strive for that. We train ourselves to be godly. And it's vital that we do that. But we can't just break away. These myths and genealogies were promoting controversies rather than God's work. And that's why Paul wrote in even Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's where our faith has to be based. Otherwise, it'll be shipwrecked if we get into something else. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let me ask you this morning, did God speak to your heart about something in your life? We talk about training ourselves to be godly. How's the training going? You know, it's very easy to slide. I know how it is in physical exercise. I try to exercise and I make it two days and then I miss two months. <laughs> Make it another day and miss another week. Or, you know, it's so hard to be consistent even in physical exercise, let alone spiritual. And we get so busy. Are you taking time to exercise your mind in the things of God? You have a quiet time with the Lord. And if, and if you are a leader in this church, it is vital that we spend time with God because we will find ourselves getting false notions in our head and embracing those and influencing people the wrong way. So it's vital that we have the truth, the gospel, that our hearts are right with the Lord, that we are taking solid food into our lives. Are you a true son 
in the faith? Do you have saving faith? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Where and when did that happen in your life? That you invited Christ into your life? How about your character? Not just when you're around mom and dad, but how about when you're around your friends? How about when you're in the marketplace and you're not around church people? How's your character in the dark when nobody knows but God? When you're alone in front of the computer, how's your character? When you have your cell phone and you have privacy, how's your character? Do you have a teachable spirit? Are you a Timothy? Have you placed yourself under a Paul? Are you doctrinally grounded? Can you defend what you believe and why you believe it? I remember talking with a guy that I worked with a number of years ago, and, and uh, he was of a different faith, and he says, you, you need to talk to my priest. I said, you're telling me I need to talk to your priest about what you believe? I'm asking you, what do you believe? We need to have, be doctrinally grounded so that we can discern truth from error, that we can distinguish right from wrong so that we don't call good evil and evil good. And it only comes from the word of righteousness. And that we're not swept in by some of the modern myths in our culture. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, I would invite you. The only way you will have power in your life to overcome sin, the devil, is by inviting Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior and Lord. We say that unapologetically in this church because there is no other hope. There is no other Savior except Christ. If you don't know what that means, maybe you're seeking I'd be glad to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Christ. Him in your life making a difference. For those of us, the majority who do know the Lord, God help us to be a Paul or a Timothy and to be a, a student of the Word of God so we can protect the flock of God and promote the Word. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.